Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 5 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin as we talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. This marks the start of our fourth year of covering women's hoops and women in hoops. And throughout the series, we welcome experts like Lyndon Moore from New Zealand and other special guests from across the world to get a global picture of the game. During this series, we'll take a closer look at the grassroots and the passionate people at the community level. And of course, the 30th edition of the FIBA Women's Asia Cup was recently held in Sydney, where the Opals took bronze and Asia's best players put on a show. Hit that subscribe button and to show your support, rate and leave us a review on iTunes so we reach more listeners. It's really exciting. I think if we stay doing what we're doing, we'll continue to do a good job for another 10 years, but we won't really take any really big steps. This will allow the league to take some big, big steps once this starts to evolve and roll out. We've got a special podcast this week. Joining us is the head of the WNBL, Christy Collier-Hill, and she's giving us an early peek into the upcoming season and beyond. It's been a phenomenal time for women's sports. Fans of women's hoops have been treated to a memorable year of world-class talent and competition in our backyard. Add to the mix the excitement of the FIFA Women's World Cup and you know women's sports are making a mark. With three months to go until the 44th WNBL season launches, Christy shares a look at the direction the WNBL is setting while we look back at the remarkable season that was, and despite some setbacks and challenges, we can see real progress mapped out during this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me and my co-host Jacinta Govind, it is Christy Collier-Hill, head of the WNBL. Christy, it's great to have you back. Thanks for having me again, guys. Pleasure to be here. Got to admit, we've kind of been looking forward to this one, especially after all the announcements that have been coming thick and fast over the last six weeks or so. And it's looking like it's going to be a very exciting season. I'm genuinely excited about the upcoming season. I think a lot of player movement in the off-season. We're seeing some super high-quality international athletes coming into our league again, obviously all leading into Paris Olympics next year as well, um, some coach movement. So plenty of uh, plenty of swapping going on. I think it should make for some fantastic matchups, some some potentially some spicy matchups, which we love to see. And, it's yeah, I think there's going to be a really exciting season ahead for everyone. Yeah, it's been interesting watching it develop because some of the teams really have not put out a lot of announcements and, and really held it back to try and, I think, you know, rev up some interest. 
yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Southsider are always a bit slow out of the gates. Um, we joke with them about it. There's no doubt about it. Um, or I think they've got four or five players out there announced publicly now. But uh, look, everyone went pretty early this year. I think all the clubs administratively are doing a really good job in terms of getting their rosters together and getting themselves organised for the season ahead. The fixture release was, oh gosh, it's a good few weeks ago now, which is I think the earliest we've released a fixture ever, yep. months and months in advance, which allowed then all the clubs to essentially almost finalise announcing their rosters. And then most of them, I think, probably by one or two alive with memberships now as well. So a longer lead time means great for the fans. All the fans get all the information they need for the season ahead and great for the clubs, you know, to engage with those fans through memberships and ticket sales and get the player information out there and start telling some of those stories. So I think, you know, actually we'll, we record this on the 1st of August. We're three months out to the day today from the tip off of the competition and I think it's ramping up nicely. So it's really good to see. Okay, so I want to just sort of talk about the things that have been happening recently. So it's it's nearly been a year since the Women's World Cup. We've had Asia Cup recently. How do you think that those two events are going to help the league and help to sort of try and attract more fans to the Games? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that both of those events have been significant not just for the WNBL but for basketball as a whole in the country. I think, you know, for everyone that listens to your podcast, basketball in Australia is, pardon the pun, it's booming at the moment. There's no doubt about it. The, yeah, uh, the you know, And it starts right from the top in terms of our, our boomers and our opals and the quality of athletes in those teams in NBA and WNBA. And then playing in those international tournaments in certainly the Women's World Cup in Sydney last year and then the FIBA Asia Cup. The visibility it provides of the women that play in those tournaments, not just of our Australian women, but all of those international women is just so significant and it's not just the people who attend the games it's the people that see it on tv it's the media coverage it garners off the back of it all of the above so all of that along with just growth at grassroots level for basketball across the country is providing significant actual growth for the WNBL and significant growth opportunities as well so there is more and more awareness of our Opals athletes and who those women are and what their names are and what they do and who they play for, which is really, really exciting. There's more visibility of them. You've got more young girls seeing them, loving what they do, being inspired by them. So all of that plays in really nicely for the WNBL. It means we get more awareness of those athletes, more awareness of the clubs they play for, better game day attendances, better membership, better media coverage, um, it all kind of plays in together. So there's no one thing that will uh, elevate or help elevate the WNBL, but all of those things combined together certainly provide us with um, some support that we need, you know, for lifting the WNBL. Was it intentional that um, the WNBL clubs and the league released rosters and fixtures early to kind of capture the audience at the same time as Asia Cup was being held in Sydney? Yeah, very deliberate, very deliberate. We wanted to go out as close as we could to centre after the Asia Cup. Obviously, all of the WNBA athletes didn't play, so all of those, I think all of them, no, I think there's one or two that won't play in WNBL. So of the 12 that played, you guys probably know better than me, I think 10 of them will play WNBL this season. So certainly an opportunity to leverage timing off the back of that, go out with the fixture. Most of the roster spots are out at that point in time. All of the clubs release the fixture 
either on that day or within the the days following it um, release their own fixtures so very deliberate timing and look it's kind of exciting we've got we know we have some players that have gone to Europe this year which is completely understandable but we're also seeing some great athletes back in the league I mean Alice Kunek I don't know if we were going to talk about her today but it was so great to see her play for the Opals and be back in the WNBL with Townsville so even those kind of stories that kind of flow through from those events um, are really positive and I think they'll have a really good impact on the WNBL this season as well. Now, a bit earlier this season, there's a lot of press, right, and, and not positive press about the CBA and the financial stability of the league. The good thing is the stories have faded into the background, but I think they just kind of disappeared rather than us having gotten some sort of clarity around what was the rationale behind what was occurring. What can you let our fans know about what went on with that? Yeah, I mean, there was obviously a bit of media earlier in the year around um, some concerns around, as you said, CBA. Um, some of the owners came out, you know, sharing some information with in some of those articles as well. There's probably a couple of parts to that. The CBA is actually, I suppose, officially finished on the 30th of June this year, a three-year CBA. Um, the new one is, I'm going to say, 95% finished. We've been working on it for some time. We're kind of going back and forth on certain words and certain phrases it's obviously a very specific legal document and that's a large document so uh we've worked our way through that and we're, we're kind of coming to the end of that and so as soon as that document is finalized and finished it will be obviously released and in play until that time the current cba remains until there is a new one that essentially overtakes it which is as i said very close to being finished which i'm quite happy about um, it's a it's a lengthy lengthy process but look as part of that obviously um in any type of cba negotiations there are many stakeholders to consider the athletes obviously being you know i'm not going to say the number one but the number one being the athletes clubs um, and their considerations and obviously you know when we work with the players association who we do have a very good relationship with they advocate on behalf of the athletes and they're trying to get the best for the athletes in every way that they can and we absolutely understand that and I think some of the interesting conversations we've had throughout this process is that collectively clubs, athletes, ABPA, Basketball Australia, WNBL, we are all on the same page in terms of where we want I suppose athlete provisions to be and where we know that they should be at at the moment However, we're also all very realistic in terms of where we are as a league right now and where clubs are financially. So, you know, although we go back and forth on a few bits and pieces, we've landed in positions that we think are reasonable for all parties. We've landed in a position that is not where the WNBL should be, but, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. So we, our ultimate goal is sustainability of the league and sustainability of the clubs for the, I'm going to say, the immediate term, which is for the upcoming season. So taking all those things into consideration were all the things that um, I suppose were talked about a bit in the media and also, you know, part of that CBA negotiation process. Okay, because that ties into some other items that we heard about, which is that the WNBL is looking for investment or equity partners. So it seems to me that all of this going on kind of ties in together. Again, that was there was an announcement that was made and there wasn't a lot of detail around it. And I'm looking at that announcement, I'm thinking, this is actually a major announcement. It's quite really significant. And there wasn't a lot that followed on from that. 
So I'm kind of curious, and I'm sure there are, there are listeners who are going to be curious to find out more about what does this mean? Does it mean that, you know, Basketball Australia is going to be stepping back from the WNBL? Is it? Does it mean that there's going to be just more money floating around? There's a lot of potentials. So just to try and, I suppose, clarify a few of those questions, what does that look like and what what's the intention you know, longer term, based off these first steps? Mm, great questions, Paul. <laughs> I, will with you, I will certainly share with you what I can. What I would say from the outset is that as an administrator of the league, I could not be more excited about the prospect of what could happen with the WNBL over the next period of time. I think we are a brilliant league. The quality of our, look, I'm not saying anything all of you or your listeners don't know, the quality of our athletes and the quality of the competition is world class. And we are not in a position where the league should be when you look at us compared to other women's professional leagues in the country. So we're going into our 44th season. We have, you know, done an okay job as we've gone along the path across those 44 years to get to where we are now. But we know we need to we need to do more. And so I suppose the reality of that is it needs more resources. The league needs a lot more resources. And, and I say that in terms of financial resources and people resources. So the Board of Basketball Australia certainly is aware of that. They value the WNBL and they see the potential that the WNBL has. And so as part of that, which is some of the information that's already come out publicly, the board has endorsed the um, formation of a new ownership and governance structure for the WNBL. Now, the exact elements of that structure is being worked through at the moment. However, certainly um, what that looks like is that there will be opportunity for private investment into the league. Again, exactly who, why, how, how much, they're the elements that are being worked through at the moment. But certainly um, Basketball Australia will still remain involved in some capacity, you know, I suppose in the future, but again, exactly how, you know, yet to be seen. So the board has endorsed the creation of a, essentially a joint venture, which will look something like Basketball Australia owning part of that joint venture, potentially clubs owning part of that joint venture, and then private investment being part of that joint venture as well. So a new ownership model for the WNBL, a new governance model, which would include a standalone board or commission, depending on the terminology they use for that, whose sole purpose is to focus on the sustainability and growth of the WNBL and a new management model that then would sit under that. So it's really exciting. I think if we stay doing what we're doing, we'll continue to do a good job for another 10 years, but we won't really take any really big steps this will allow the league to take some big, big steps once this starts to evolve and roll out. It's look. It sounds really interesting, very exciting. A lot of interesting angles to to what you you described. From the point of view of internal discussions, and obviously there's things you you can't talk about. Have there been even some like thoughts about you know milestones or longer term goals over the next few years of what you'd like to achieve with the league at a general level because i'm sure people would be interested it's like okay this is going to happen but what's kind of going to follow on after that yeah look to be honest paul all of that is really being developed at the moment in the background so there's not really much i can share with you on that at this 
point in time. Um, I would love to be able to go, well, it's going to be A, B, C and D, but the reality is there's still a lot of work to be done in the background on that. I mean, there's a couple of main things with the league in my mind in terms of um, elevation. Certainly the broadcast and where we sit on what channels is a big part of that and that's all about the visibility. So that will be a big part of it. Where do we sit beyond next season to give us as much visibility as we possibly can. What sort of media partnerships do we have with mainstream media to, again, increase that visibility and fan base of the league? So, you know, there's certainly parts of it. We've spoken about expansion. I've spoken about expansion since I've been in this job. And certainly that is something that is still on the radar, even at the current time, but obviously just on hold while this piece of work happens. Um, I think there is significant opportunity expansion in the WNBL, certainly in some geographical markets. We're seeing, you know, even this season with roster spots in the WNBL, people are going to miss out on roster spots who are, you know, genuine WNBL level athletes. And then we've got, you know, a good handful of athletes over in the in the European leagues, which we would love to have back. So I, look, I think the biggest thing is financial investment into the league, the ability to market the league better, to promote it better, the ability to increase wages, minimum wages and salary caps and salary floors across the league to value our athletes more and have better parity with the men's leagues. There's a whole lot you can do once you have more resources and I think that is, like as I said at the very, very start, very, very exciting. There's still a long way to go. So there's still a lot of work happening in the background at certainly at board level in terms of the development of this structure. And I, you know, certainly BA as a whole will share updates as that progresses. And there's, you know, I suppose they're able to share a little bit more. Okay. It reminds me the when you were speaking before, Christy, about how part BA, part club, part uh, private investor, it reminds me a bit when we spoke to Justin Nelson, you know, a while ago now, mm. ahead of the uh, Tahui League in New Zealand being relaunched and revamped and part of uh, restructuring the Tahui League and starting with only five teams and having different parties invest in those teams was having a small percentage or a maximum, I think it was, a maximum of like 20% maybe that clubs can only invest mm. in for the sake of sustainability for not only the league but that club. Is that something that maybe taken into consideration as well for the WNBL? Yeah, look, the board commissioned a review of the WNBL at the start of the year. It was, for somebody who's worked in sport for a very long time, it was one of the best reviews and reports I have ever seen. And, you know, genuinely somebody who's interested in sports business was first class. And so that review did a full review of the league, it, you know, benchmarked against other domestic leagues, other international leagues, um, and then provided recommendations off the back of that. And those recommendations were around ownership and governance structure and management structure, et cetera, to allow the BA board to then review that and say, yes, we endorse, you know, that proposed structure and we would like to, you know, explore that and move forward with it. So I don't think it'll be exactly the same as what they've got in New Zealand. But look, Justin is a very forward thinker. There's no doubt about it. Um, love how his brain works. So it, it won't be the same, but it'll, it sounds like it'll be something similar. I'd like to kind of move on a little bit to some non-business type stuff. Uh, about the incoming local and international talent that we haven't seen in the WNBL before. I could not be more excited about the team roster this year, guys. It is it is so exciting. I mean, we mentioned at the start there's a lot of there has been a lot of chopping and changing between teams, which 
you know, creates excitement in itself amongst the fan base. And then we've got returning athletes coming back after periods of time, Alice Kunek being one of them. And then we've got, from an international perspective, absolutely first-class high-quality import athletes that are coming to play in the WNBL this season, which we always do, as you know, but there seems to be a lot <laughs> this season. So, you know, I suppose in terms of that world-class product that we have, it remains world-class. And it's going to be really exciting to see all the teams out on court this season. I think it might take a few teams, uh, you know, a few weeks to find their feet given the significant roster changes and the new faces that we're seeing. But there is no doubt the talent that is going to be on the floor is just going to be exceptional viewing right across the league. Yeah, and I like that um, the recruiting of the clubs has cast a much wider net this season rather than just trying to target particular WNBA athletes, but they've gone for different WNBA athletes. Then we've got a, a, a lot more Canadian imports this season. And uh, one of my favourites I'm most excited to see is Monica Okoye, uh, who's signed for the UC Caps. That just blew my mind, that signing. That I actually didn't realise she was playing NBL 1 South for Geelong for the <laughs> longest time. So, you know, that was a, the best kept secret. And uh, that she's signed on for uh, a season for WNBL with a really young gun kind of uh, team like the Caps. I think it's it's going to be a very, very good partnership. Yeah, I, I was excited about that one too, Jacinta. I actually thought she was outstanding at the Asia Cup, really one to watch, and I think she'll really complement a very young and exciting Capitals team. You know, even the Caps who, you know, I know struggled in terms of their win-loss last year were so great to watch. I think they're going to do better this year on court, and I think they're going to have a really exciting brand of basketball to watch, and I think she will fit into that just nicely you know she hits those long threes she's a quality athlete so uh she's going to be definitely one that's exciting to watch just makes their team even more exciting given the the roster that they've got it's the number of imports that are coming in and that quality as you've mentioned is, is pretty astounding and I, i've got to agree with jacinta when they mentioned that she was going to be suiting up for the caps i'm thinking okay it's going to have to be a few road trips down to canberra to, to see them live yeah look, i think you know, we say this all the time, but if you're a basketball fan in general, you've got to get out and watch these games because, by God, they are going to be, they're going to be high quality and super entertaining. The level of skill and the level of athleticism from the Australian and the international athletes, I, I can't wait to see it. I'm very excited about it. And there's always a low level of predictability as well, like whether it's the top team playing the bottom team, it's always going to be super competitive and it can just be whoever given date is on the day, a result is never really guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we're, you know, I know there's still a few spots to be announced with team rosters. All teams across the board are looking really strong. Um, we're seeing import athletes actually in all of the clubs this year, which we didn't have last year. Last year's champions, Townsville, whilst they lost a couple, gee whiz, they filled those gaps pretty well with some handy names like <laughs> Sammy Whitcomb and Alice Koenig jumping in their lineups. And then, you know, over in Perth, they've recruited Annalie Maley over there, league MVP the season before last. And so, all of the teams have got quality across the board. So really, can you pick a winner at the start? Probably not. Um, I think they're all looking pretty strong at the moment. We also have a couple of import spots with some of the teams yet to be announced. So Sydney um, haven't announced any um, import athletes yet. Neither have the Southside Flyers. So 
no doubt knowing those two clubs as well, I think we would probably expect some very high-quality athletes as part of their group yet to come. And there's also the ever-expected question mark over will LJ suit up one more time? <laughs> It is the million-dollar question, isn't it, Will she? You know, I've, I've seen some articles of her talking in the media at the moment and I think she wants to. I think her recovery is coming along really nicely. I know the Flyers would absolutely love her to play. I would absolutely love her to play. I think everybody would. Look, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But, look, it would be great for her to, to go around again. I, You know, she didn't get to finish the way she wanted to last season and no. she was playing so well. And I know she's super fit at the moment. She's back on court. She's shooting. She's running. So I think she can play if she wants to. It's probably just up to her now whether she wants to make that commitment. Unfinished business. I reckon we'll see her on the court. <laughs> yeah, well, she, she hinted at it when we had her on the podcast earlier on in the, in the season. And it was like, okay. If you're willing to take a punt on it, you know, how confident do you feel? It's like, let's just wait and see. Uh, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I'd look, I'll give anything to have her back in the league. <laughs> <laughs> the fans last year for Lauren were, I mean, you guys saw it when she was in Sydney. They were unbelievable. And what I loved about it was it wasn't just our generation that watched her. She's got little kids coming up to her all wanting, you know, selfies and autographs and the rest of it that never saw her first go round at basketball. And now they are and now they love her because what they saw in the World Cup and back playing WNBL. So it's not just the, I'm going to say the oldies because I don't think they're that old, but we'll say the oldies. It's not just the oldies that love her. It's all the kids as well and the, and the kids that are coming through and that is just super exciting. I think the flip side to that is, though, I mean, LJ is the biggest name in women's basketball in Australia and probably always will be. Our challenge as administrators and certainly the, the marketing of the league and of the clubs is to elevate some of our next lot of athletes coming through. We would love to have more household names to go along with LJ and that's something that I think we've just got to keep working on. Yeah, uh, I think that there's some real opportunities with some of the players that are over in the WNBA at the moment. Jade Melbourne, Ezzy, obviously, you know, you've got players like Kayla who've gone back to the WNBA and she's fulfilling her role really well in the in that team. There's enough players there. The biggest challenge for the WNBL is convincing the media to look past LJ as as the flagship player to all the other talent that's there in the league. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have seven athletes over in the WNBA this season who, I mean, they're exceptional. They're not just exceptional athletes. They're exceptional people, all of them. Um, they're great role models for the young girls and boys or for everyone, really. So there is no shortage of quality people and quality talent that we have in the WNBL. There's absolutely no shortage of it. But you're right. We need media interest. We, it's not from a lack of trying, I've got to say, from a league and club perspective um, in terms of driving that media interest. It is a challenge, there's no doubt about it, but we have great people that we can continue to try and elevate those people and those stories that are all part of the WNBL. So, and, you know, you look at the, even, I suppose, from the younger athletes coming through, Jade being one of those, I think we've got some really exciting other young talent, you know, Shanice Swain, Boulez from Adelaide, there's great quality athletes coming through. I just want people to know more about them. I think we all do. Yeah, and not in a sense where it's um, 
Unfortunately, the trend seems to be when there's a major news story about Australian women's basketball, it's just about drama. Yeah, it's either drama or it's LJ. And uh, we would still prefer more LJ articles than articles about drama or coverage <laughs> about drama any day. It might take a bit of people power to sway the narrative into the, the better direction. Yeah. Oh, look, there's no doubt people are interested in women's sport. People are interested in the WNBL and women's basketball. All the media, all the research that's conducted, which continues to be conducted at the moment, basically says if you show it and if you put it forward, people will watch it and people will be interested in it. So it's a matter of certainly I think with some of those media agencies making some conscious decisions about what they cover in their publications, be they print and, and digital. And, I mean, even now, even now, you know, you pick up a, I'm in Melbourne, obviously, but I pick up a paper and you've got to flick through 16 pages of AFL before you get to anything else. Um, and look, I, I understand how it all works and I understand why that's the case. But yeah, I mean, there's just got to be some conscious changes. I must say in today's Herald Sun, today is Tuesday, the Matildas had the front cover and the back cover of the Herald Sun, which is unheard of for women's sport as a whole. So I was absolutely thrilled to see that. And I did see a headline by another American-based basketball outlet along the lines of how FIBA are going to try and mirror the success that FIFA have had with the FIFA Women's World Cup now to try and use some of whatever worked for them into the next FIFA Women's World Cup. So uh, Matildas and FIFA are certainly having a wider positive impact on women's sport, I think. Oh, it's so, it's so exciting, isn't it? Everyone's talking about it and it's just, are you watching the World Cup? Did you watch the game last night? That sort of language where we don't have to say women's, we don't have to say FIFA Women's World Cup is really exciting and it's, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? It's so great to see. And there's also, you know, there's, there's so much research about what happens when you host international scale events for the sport as a whole, but there's also research around what happens when you host international events for other codes and certainly from a women's perspective, we hope to see a positive flow on of interest in women's sport off the back of this FIFA Women's World Cup as well. So I love it. I think it's great. I love all sports and I just think the level of coverage, media coverage, broadcast coverage, interest and excitement in this event can only be a good thing for women's sport as a whole in this country and certainly elite level women's sport. I think the A-Leagues, the women's A-Leagues will benefit off this enormously, of course. But I also think just in general, you know, there's people watching women's sport for the first time saying, oh, man, these girls can actually, they're incredible. They can play. So when you're exposing people to things like that for the first time, I think it will help other sporting codes as well. And I hope to see some of that for the WNBL. And um, just off the back of speaking of media coverage for the league, and uh, we can't deny that social media also plays a part because a lot of sports fans uh, access then sporting news from social media. And I think especially while we're here with the FIFA World Cup in Australia, sports Twitter adds fuel to the fire when people are tweeting their personal experiences and insights, whether it's, you know, who they meet in the crowd or what they thought of the game. Uh, so will the WNBL and or Basketball Australia have a greater presence on social media for the upcoming season to help add fuel to the fire? <laughs> 
No, no, about adding fuel to the fire. <laughs> in a good way, you know, just build some hype, be its own hype man, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, I hope so. Just since uh, we're just actually working through our resources in that space literally this week as we speak at the moment, I think we know social media is a platform that um, we're pro we've probably been a bit light on over the years. And to be very honest, it, it is just down to resource internally. So I think we'll see some more of that this season. I think there's no doubt about that. The plan is that we will have a WNBL TikTok channel for this season. We've already uh, developed the brief and the strategy for that one, which I won't share too much about right now because we'll launch that. Uh, I think we're launching it at the season launch as well. So there will be a new channel there with the aim of engaging current and current WNBL fans, current basketball fans and the athletes that are part of the WNBL. So a bit of a sneak peek in terms of what you might see on those channels, which is also very exciting because I think, you know, TikTok is a massive channel. It's a growing channel and it's just some again somewhere that we need to be that we're not at the moment yeah i'll subscribe i do love tiktok uh it is addictive i will admit but i also like the idea of using tiktok to have those quick sound bites or pop culture references to use to broadcast the wmbl and i think the wmba certainly do a good job each club of the WNBA do a good job of that, even if it's those silly uh, TikToks asking each player who, who snores the loudest, who's the worst at texting, um, who, who, what's everyone's coffee order, stuff like that. Is It seems so silly, but it's the thing that keeps me going back. <laughs> yeah, I like the w what the WNBA doing, both from a league and club perspective over there in that sort of content. I think you'll see a bit more of that from us this season. Cool. So... With all the, the social media hype that you want to build, one of the key things that would help, to, that obviously helps to bring people in, is for fans to know what's happening in terms of people signing up for memberships. Do you have any indication of how that's tracking compared to last season? Because, you know, I've been seeing a lot more about it. They've been, the, the clubs have been more aggressive about getting out there. Has that translated? I'll be very honest with you. We don't have any data from the clubs as yet. Oh. So yeah, not yet. Fixture was released on, I'm pretty sure it was the 12th of July. So um, most went live with memberships not long after that. So they've only been out in market for probably, you know, let's say two or three weeks. And you're right, Paul, most have been going more aggressively than normal. I think the timeline of having a longer runway into the season with the fixture being out is definitely going to help. Last season, memberships were up, as you mentioned, significantly across the league. I would expect they'll be up again this season. I think one of the things we saw last season was you know, kind of post-COVID, our first, you know, in inverted commas, normal season again, people voted with their feet, membership was up, game day attendances was up. It was a really positive, I suppose, personal interaction with the league last year. I can only see that increasing this year for sure. Okay. This is actually completely off our notes now. Uh, one of the <laughs> things that we talked about uh, in an earlier podcast was the things that go on around the game. Because quite often, you know, you go to a game and then you go home from a game. Has the league or have any of the clubs been talking to the league about trying to do more around a game day like, I don't know, food trucks near the venues or, or something like that just to be able to get, you know, make it more of an event so that you go earlier, you grab a bite to eat, maybe they've got some live music going and whatever to make it a night out rather than, you know, just going to a game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those types of conversations have certainly been happening in and around the league as long as I've been involved. But uh, we had a workshop with all clubs back in May this year where we, we spent a bit of time exactly on that ball. So really, we know that we are an event experience of when you're talking about coming to a WNBL game. Our competition is for a family is do they take them to a movie? Do they take them to an NBL game? Do they take them to another sporting event? Do they take them to, a, I don't know, some other local event that's happening in their community? So the intent for the WNBL, certainly for the clubs, is to, it should be an end-to-end -end experience. So from the moment you step onto the concourse or whatever it is, whatever stadium it is, that it is an experience for you. And as you say, Paul, that can include absolutely anything all clubs for the upcoming season are reviewing what they did for last season and will look to amplify that for the upcoming season. I would just probably temper that a little bit with the resources that clubs have at club level. Yep. Again, just yep. you know, just to be realistic in terms of people and money, I think if there were both of those, more of both of those things at club level, we'd be seeing you know far greater, I suppose, level of event experience. But certainly, some of the clubs that have been doing things like that for I suppose a longer period of time, they've really kind of honed in on how do you do it well with you know within the parameters that you've got in terms of money and people and create a great event experience. So I do think some of the clubs are doing it really well. Um, I went to Townsville for the grand final hall and it was probably the best event experience I've had of a WNBL game to date. They did have they had half a dozen food trucks. They did have live music. They had giveaways. They had games all outside before you even stepped foot into the stadium and then in the stadium, you know, all the other things that go along with it. Obviously, that's a grand final, so there's a lot more effort put into mm. that. But that's where we would love to be for every single game of the WNBL across the country. That I, I suppose that's the, you know, the utopia of where we would like to be. It's not where we will be given, you know, where we are at right now. But certainly I think you should expect to see some more from clubs across the league this season. Okay. And given that Townsville were a regional club as well, I think that probably, uh, funnily enough, you would think regional clubs being uh, smaller, under-resourced, I think in that sense of hosting a grand final, a regional club's an advantage because they're more likely to band together and have maybe less to compete with, put all the time and resources of the community into making it an event. Um, and so how did that experience in Townsville compare when you had, flew back to Melbourne for Game 2 and it was Southside's turn to host, were there very many similarities and differences on game day presentation? Yeah, I mean, look, Southside ramped it up for the grand final as well. I can't recall exactly what they had, but I remember seeing a lot of, you know, kids face painting and fairy floss and little bits and pieces on the outside there. And then in stadium, look, Southside Flies are a really interesting one. Last season, their game day presentation or their game presentation I should say so the encore and around the court which is your sound your lighting your music your encore presentation your activations they ramped that up to a new level they were probably up there with the best in the league if not the best last season for that game presentation so they really invested in that they did their their work pre-season and then really invested in it during the season um so certainly from that perspective they were incredible there's you know interestingly at the flyers at the state basketball center where they're playing there are some limitations with what you can do with venue there um so there's a 
a few other considerations with that sort of thing. But certainly when it comes to grand finals and even semi-finals, all clubs step it up. They all do more. And like I said, it's it's an evolution. So I think it's a really good indication of where we could be in the future. Okay. Now I'm actually going to pass this one over to Jacinta because I know she wanted to have a bit of a discussion about the, the charity rounds. Yeah, correct. We haven't touched on the charity round, so that's a very good volley over to me, PC. (laughs) I was going to ask, because last year we had, I think, four official charity rounds across the WNBL and there was some flexibility for clubs to have their own uh, specific charity rounds within the club too. And I noticed that for the next season for WNBL, there's only two official charity rounds across the league. So tell me a little bit more about uh, why there were only two And was this to allow even more flexibility for clubs to do their own rounds on the ground, I guess? Yeah, look, we only had two last season, Jacinta. So we had the um, Indigenous round and the Fighting Period Poverty round were the two league-wide rounds last season. And they will again be the two league-wide rounds for the upcoming season. Last year, a number of clubs did their own rounds. Um, You know, we had a Pride round at Adelaide. Sydney obviously did their pink round. The Southside Flyers had a lifeline round. I actually think almost every club did around last year. So when we met with the clubs back in May this year, we did discuss um, bringing in a third league-wide round and what that would look like. We've also surveyed fans and athletes on that and what that would look like. So there are options for that. However, um, for the season ahead, we've decided to stay just with the two that we've got and deliver those two. And, again, I think it's almost every club actually I think every club again will deliver their own either charity or themed round for the upcoming season so two league-wide ones this year we're actually going to kick off the round this year round one is the Indigenous round for the upcoming season we will be doing that in collaboration with the NBL which is very exciting so it will be round I think it's round six for them so launching our round with that doing it in conjunction with them will be a really nice way to kickstart the season and then fighting period poverty round will be round 14 in the upcoming season very good yeah apologies it just felt like there were more league-wide rounds but I suppose the uh, maybe that's a reflection of those individual clubs doing those extra charity rounds um, of their sound marketing and promotion so that felt like a league-wide round and I think there was a couple of incidents like uh, Flyers hosted the mental health round and then a couple of other teams decided to jump on with three-pointers or assists or something like that. So it was a collaboration. Yeah. What we we spoke about um, in the workshop earlier in the year was making sure that we had one crossover last year with the club rounds. We don't want to have any crossover, so we spoke about making sure we plan them out because for that exact reason, Jacinta, what we found is most clubs want to support the clubs that are doing it. So the Lifeline round is a great example of the three-pointers. A lot of other clubs and athletes jumped on that. Um, the Pride round, the same thing, and the Domestic Violence Awareness round in Canberra, the same thing. So what we've what we've requested is that we space them out from a club perspective to allow other clubs to support them. And then certainly from a league perspective as well, Jacinta, we supported all of those rounds in terms of promoting and sharing across our channels as well. So Perhaps that's why it seemed like we did more. Those ones are club driven, but they are, you know, they're all very worthy causes in their own right. So great to have them doing that and great that we can support it and great that the other clubs and athletes can as well. 
And something just on the Indigenous round, something that I really enjoyed last season with the Indigenous round was the integration of and inclusion of First Nations culture, uh, not just wearing the Indigenous round uniforms and having a proper welcome to country or smoking ceremony at games, but the players themselves having an opportunity to learn First Nations culture with um, some teams having weaving, some teams having uh, other separate smoking ceremonies and things like that. I think that was uh, really, really nice to see. Yeah, I thought it was excellent last year. Really, really well done. Um, both from a league perspective, we, we um, had a couple of athletes go up to the Northern Territory and engage with local communities up there. Um, we did some great story pieces on them. Um, we even had some artwork created of those three First Nations athletes. And then from a club perspective, the clubs really got behind it. As you mentioned, Jacinta, they did some great community programs, some great programs with the athletes involved. The uniforms always look amazing. I think the uniforms are sensational and they do look great, but it is also more than that. So I think the community integration and the education pieces that came through in last year's Indigenous round were, were really fantastic. Um, there are some more elements that we'll be looking to roll out this year, which are still being worked through, but I'm excited to share those when we're able to. Now, one of the things that I know, and I know this one is, is near and dear to Jacinta's heart, is about the merch. <laughs> Obviously, you know, with special rounds like the Indigenous round, people want to buy the merchandise. And it's not always been as, let's let's call it, as frictionless as it could be. What's Has the league got some plans to try and make that a little bit more, uh, a little bit easier for the fans to be able to buy merchandise? <laughs> I'm thinking before I speak on this one. <laughs> So there's two parts to it. I think certainly with the themed rounds, there will be opportunities to purchase the themed round T-shirts for both of those rounds at host clubs in that round, if that makes sense. The jerseys are a little bit different. And the reason is, is because especially this year being round one of the competition, they are still being worked on by clubs in terms of design and they then order all of their ones and, you know, they'll get them there ready for the first game. So the ordering of the singlets and the producing of the singlets from um, that perspective, it's not a quick process. So I would love in an ideal world, I think like you, Jacinta, to go to the Indigenous round game in round one of the competition and there be, you know, 50 Indigenous singlets there ready to purchase for all of the fans. It's not out of the round, but it but it's probably unlikely just given the time frame, in particular this year with the round being round one. It's not to say you can't order them, but from my knowledge, and I'm I'm not right across the merch stuff, I've got to say, but to the best of my knowledge, I do think they are an order and the I suppose the order is submitted once it's purchased, if that makes sense. Yeah, because when you mentioned when you reminded us that Indigenous round was round one, mm. the, the first thought in my head was are the jerseys going to be ready on time for purchase? But I didn't <laughs> want to. I was like, I, I won't. I'll hold on to that one. I'll hold on to that question. But I think uh, just logistically, even if the designs are ready and they're up for pre-order, I think that's still an improvement from the last couple of years. I hope so. Look, it's all supposed to be all the designs. Well, all the designs will be finished by the end of this month. There are orders placed for the teams for the round. So I will take that on notice. I will see if we can get those designs at least up online in the WNBL shop at that time so that people can place orders with plenty of lead time leading into the first um, game of the season. 
And as we're talking about going into that first game of the season, we have to go back to last season's early up in the season where we had the unfortunate pink game on broadcast. <laughs> I can laugh about it now. <laughs> Obviously, crying most of the first four weeks of the competition. <laughs> so, yeah, look, obviously one of the things that I'm sure the fans are going to be curious about is about the broadcast. And I thought it's a good time, we, you know, since we've talked about round one, you know, to, to bring that up, to see, you know, what's been done and how, what can the fans expect? It's a great question, Paul. We actually had our first broadcast, uh, well, our, I suppose our official kickoff broadcast meeting today, so three months out from the season, which is a great place for us to be. One of the questions as a joke that was asked at that meeting was, should we put Perth in pink at the start of the season or should we have them in their true red? And I went, let's not even joke about that. Let's just get the colouring and the sound right. Um, look, what I can share with you is that the you know, we obviously had issues across the first four rounds of the competition last year. We then changed production partners after that time and then significant improvement from that time on right through to the end of the season. What I can share is we've contracted that production partner to deliver the WNBL for the upcoming season. Um, so we will be working with them very closely. That provides certainly us and all the fans and everybody involved in the WNBL for that matter, some comfort that it will be delivered at an acceptable level for the duration of the season. In saying that, you know, our meeting today was about how do we elevate it? You know, it was presented at an acceptable level towards the end of the season. There's no doubt about that, but I think we can always do more and I think we should do more. So that was part of the meeting today and we're working through a number of elements that will, again, make it a better viewing experience for everybody at home. I think most people would be aware we're in a second year of a two-year broadcast partnership with ESPN and the Nine Network. So the game of the week will continue to be that Wednesday night game on ESPN and all the other games will be shown on the Nine now platform via the nine network and look really interestingly the we did a fan survey a couple of months ago the feedback on that was really interesting in general fans really liked the wednesday night game they liked having it as a space where they could where we could you know own it so to speak they liked not everybody, but most liked that it was spread out and it gave them the opportunity to watch, you know, most of the games across around. The main feedback about Nine Now as a platform outside of the, you know, the, the challenges we had in that first four rounds was the playback functionality. So, you know, when you watch a game on KO and you can start at any time and move back and forward, they, it just didn't have that. And uh, it was one of the elements that we were advised would be up and live prior to the season. Then during the season and then after the season. So we're still working with Nine on that functionality with the hope that it will be in place prior to the upcoming WNBL season because we know it is a, as we watch sport, um, whether we like it or not, that's our expectation of how we watch it now and how we engage in it. So I think it's a really important factor to make that viewing experience accessible and you know, I suppose, enjoyable for everyone that, that can watch games on that Nine Now platform. So we are still working with them on that one. I think there will be a lot of our, our listeners that will be pleased to hear that that's in the works because I think when we would have our offline chats with friends when we're talking about games and whatever, um, yeah, that was one thing that would come up is the, the playback function on Nine Now versus other platforms. So I think, yes, people take comfort in hearing that. 
Yeah, well, I'm not making any promises though. <laughs> yeah, true. At least it's been spoken about. Like at least it's literally taken on the feedback from the fans through the survey and doing your best to implement it. I think sometimes with these things as well, especially when you guys have gone to the effort of putting out a survey for the fans, you know, how many times in our lives do we do surveys and we don't know uh, where what, what the follow-through is or what's actually going to be implemented after that. So I think the fact that you've taken on the feedback and you are trying to actively implement it to the best of your abilities, it still, it still says a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And look, a bit of an insight for you guys. One of the other things is, and it came through last season and again in this season's fan survey, and we will have an article going out about the fan survey within the next couple of weeks as well. Finally, we will be having a WNBL app for the upcoming season. Um, we, you know, we're about 10 years behind <laughs> behind the, the play in this one, but we are, it's in development. Um, it has been contracted. It will be delivered prior to the upcoming season. Fans have been crying out for that for years. So we are incredibly excited to be able to be bringing that to life for the upcoming season and beyond. So WNBL app, here we come. <laughs> That's very exciting because a lot of us will attend a WNBL game. You know, some of uh, our friends and STB listeners went to an NBL one game on the weekend. And while we're physically at an NBL one game, we still want to know what's happening with the other NBL one game. So we're on the app and now we can do that with the WNBL. So I think a lot of people will be really happy about that too. And as you know, like the FIBA Women's World Cup had an app and it was so handy, very easy to use. Yeah, and, and just the way an app can organise information better than a website, yeah. oh, I think people are gonna people are gonna love that. Yeah, we're super excited about it. I'm, you know, as we know, everyone has a phone in their hands at all times. As you say, Jacinta, not just at home watching on TV, but at games, you've got the stats up, you've got all the bits and pieces up. So it's a critical component of a league in terms of being able to have strong fan engagement, but also being able to service the fans, right? So I'm excited about that component of being able to bring that to life, which is very cool. Now, one of the things that I do want to ask about is, are we going to see another game this season at John Kane Arena? That is a great question. <laughs> I do know. I do. Look, there's no game in the fixture at the moment that is listed as being at John Kane Arena, but I do know the Flyers, if there was an opportunity and availability, are certainly interested in doing one. I do know even the boomers here in Melbourne would consider it. At this point in time, there is nothing confirmed or booked in, but that's not to say that there might not be at some point in the future. Okay, well, just give us a heads up because we've got to organise flights and accommodation. <laughs> <laughs> look, I would love to – look, there's no doubt that game at John Kane last year was groundbreaking for the WNBL and women's basketball. It was phenomenal. Everything about it was phenomenal. I would love to see another game there. We, you know, we've spoken with both those clubs and said if that is – if they, if you have a desire to do it and there is opportunity to do it, you know, we'll support you like we did with the Flyers last year. And certainly conversations with, you know, all the teams – on that space. I think having women's basketball on the big stage and, and giving it, you know, uh, I suppose all the credibility that it deserves and all the coverage that it deserves is something we want to see. So we're happy to work with clubs that um, certainly have a desire to move any of their home games to those big venues. Now, we were talking to this series, we've been talking to players and one topic of conversation that's come up is around uh, 3x3 basketball. 
And obviously, we've been looking at the response to the Rapid League that they've got in the, the Tawiki New Zealand, which seems to be pretty positive. Are there any thoughts about doing something like that or a 3x3 game as a, a curtain raiser to the main WNBL game? There's definitely been discussion around 3x3 and WNBL. So I think there is a huge opportunity for us as the WNBL to to do something in the 3x3 space. I would personally, and this is, you know, just me chatting, I would love to see each WNBL club have a 3x3 team and that 3x3 competition, like you say, Paul, perhaps it's played as a warm-up to the main game in the WNBL. Perhaps it's played as its own standalone league alongside. Is it played in FIBA windows? Is it played as a tournament across four or five days on, you know, on the beach at Bondi Beach or what does it look like? I think, well, I don't think, we know it's an evolving, I suppose, code within our sport. We also know that we have incredible athletes that take part in that 3x3 competition and certainly a desire for fans to engage with that sport. So I think from a WNBL perspective, we need to be looking at it and we need to be considering the options and opportunities that of how we can engage in it. We have had discussions um, certainly at club level and league level around what that looks like. I suspect we might see something like that evolve perhaps off the back of, you know, a new ownership and governance structure in the league and an opportunity to do a bit more with things like that around product development. That's probably where in terms of a timing perspective, that's probably where something like that sits. But in my mind, we've absolutely got to be exploring it. And again, we've got to, I don't, innovation's not a word you would associate with the WNBL, I think, probably ever. <laughs> but I think we do have to be a bit innovative. And, you know, New Zealand is leading the way in that, thanks to people like Justin Nelson, who have a vision and, you know, follow through with it and, and bring everybody, you know, along for the ride. So I would love to see something like that evolve, Paul. And, I, you know, it is on the radar, but um, let's just see how it pans out, I think, over the next kind of 12 months. Okay. Uh, Jacinta, have you got anything else for Christy? I think the only thing I was going to ask was just about the fan survey based on some of the – were there any surprising results that you're able to share from the fan survey that you perhaps won't publish in the press release? You know what? There, there wasn't anything really surprising. I think, um, you know, some of the things that we were looking at specifically – you know, thinking around commentary, for example, commentary of the WNBL, I know, is always an interesting topic for people. We were kind of looking for really strong themes that might come out of that fan survey around that. And, and really interestingly, there weren't. So what we garnered from it is for most people when it comes to, to commentary of the game, it's a, it's a personal preference. So some people, some comments might be uh, this person, person X is, is by far and away the best commentator and we should have them on every game. And then the next person says commentator X, I really don't like that commentator. I don't like watching games when they do it, I turn it down. So there was no central strong theme that came through around commentary, commentary style, what that looks like, which we were, you know, kind of looking for, I suppose, to get some strong feedback on that. Other than that, there was nothing that was really 
really stood out. Lots of what we expected, lots of commentary around the broadcast and about getting that right and feedback around how the season started and what it looked like at the end. Certainly some commentary around the Wednesday night game um, and what they would like to see in that and some branding particularly around that um, and some consistency around that Wednesday night game in terms of timing, which been able to to get, I think, for the most part for the upcoming season. But look, for the most part, it was I'm not going to say what we would expect, but there wasn't anything which we went, oh wow, we didn't we didn't know that or we didn't we didn't anticipate that. So a lot of it kind of validating some of the commentary that we hear out there, certainly you know through podcasts like yourselves, and we had I think it was just over 850 people answer that fan survey, so a really good amount. So you know it helps kind of quantify some of that. Um, commentary that we hear, you know, throughout and post-season. A different part of fan engagement that we didn't expect, 850 yeah. people replying to a survey. That's really cool. Really fantastic. Yeah. I think that's the biggest surprise of the survey was how many <laughs> Spot on. I mean, last year we did it, um, I think we had five 550-odd last year, which I thought was an excellent number, and then even more this year, which is great, and it just shows that people want to give their feedback and, you know, 98% of people on there were constructive in their feedback in, in their commentary with it as well. And we do read it. We've analysed it. We've done the report on it. We do take note of it. We do use it to help shape what we do in the future. So we are listening. We do what we can. There's things that we can't do because we are limited resourcefully, but we are definitely listening and we definitely want to make we want to make the league better. We want to understand what the fans value and what they don't and what areas we can improve on. So we definitely are listening. Well, Christy, as always, it's great having you on the show. It's great getting insights into the WNBL and hearing about, you know, all the trials and tribulations and the steps that the league is taking to address them. I think it's important that the fans know that you are listening and you are doing what you can to address them. And sometimes not everything can get fixed, but it's it's in train. Something is happening, which is always great. So, yeah, it's it's been fantastic having you back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And, look, you guys do such great work with coverage of the WNBL. We're really appreciative of it. So keep up the good work and here's to a good season, hey? Absolutely. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.